this is D.L. Hudson. Welcome to Church and Culture. This show is devoted to exploring the interaction between our faith and our culture. Each week, I will talk with expert guests on topics ranging from literature, art, and music to politics, liturgy, spirituality, and education. Thank you for joining us. It's such a treat to return to the music of the Danish composer Carl Nielsen, arguably Denmark's greatest composer, and do so in the company of Guy Ricards. We're going to be talking about Nielsen's final period of his symphonic writing. But before we do, let me remind you that Guy is a freelance writer about classical music. He's offered program notes for the BBC and for major music magazines like Gramophone, where he publishes regularly. He is the Honorary Secretary of the Music Section of the United Kingdom Critics Circle, and he's in the second year of a program that mentors young classical music critics. He's written books, including one on Jan Sibelius, and he also has contributed to a study of the music of John McCabe, as well as being executor of Harold Truscott's musical estate. So, Guy, we listened to the first sections of the first three symphonies. Are these second three symphonies substantially different in style or color? Well, I think they are, certainly in expression. I mean, we left number three at the end of that glorious, heartwarming Danishness and very positive and outgoing and sunny. And then in the fourth, things begin to get a little darker. It was begun in 1914, so perhaps no surprise there. Um, and certainly this symphony and the fifth that followed in uh, 1921 and 22 seem to be suffused with the sort of the imagery of war and conflict and battle, uh, which is not like the type of music and expression you get in the first place. And then in number six, he goes off in a different tangent altogether. But I wanted to start off with something a little different, because it's going to be serious for most of the uh, program today. And uh, I thought we might just uh, revisit the positive Nielsen uh, with what I think is one of the happiest pieces of music ever penned. It's on the same level as Bax's Dance in the Sunlight or the Bernstein Candide Overture. You're talking here of the Helios Overture. Thank you. 
wonderful, colorful music. Now, that comes from an opera. Is that right, Guy? That's right. It's his uh, comic opera, Masquerade. It's the, the second of his two operas. And it's a, a wonderful, rather Mozartian uh, opera. It's all, all light and fluff, but as you can hear from the music, there's a lot of substance uh, in the music and the way it's laid out. It's the typical kind of uh, 18th century conceit. Boy and girl betrothed to each other, never met, don't want to marry, meet each other at a masked ball, fall in love. The parents then follow the next three acts to try and stop them from, from bedding together. And at the end, of course, everybody takes their masks off and they find, oh, these are the two that's supposed to be getting married anyway. So it's great fun. In other words, the, the kind of thing you couldn't write today, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, uh, it's great fun. It is, and he really shows his his comic and lighter side. Now, that's not going to be much of the case in the three symphonies we're about to sample, is it? Certainly not the first two, no. Um, the fourth symphony was begun in 1914, before the outbreak of war. And it's not, I think, in its initial um, stages, it wasn't intended as um, a war symphony. It was, if, if anything, more likely reflecting the state of Nielsen's marriage at the time. But he made some interesting comments about the piece and the general sort of idea, including a very famous quote where he says, music is life and like it inextinguishable. And this is the title of the piece uh, as a whole. And he explained you know, with, with the conflict that occurs at various passages it, sounds of conflict that goes to various passages in the piece, but now there must be conflict in music so that we can have clarity. It needs to go through some kind of conflict in order to come to a resolution. Um, and the resolution in this piece is the clash of keys. It starts off in D minor, it wants to get to A, and it doesn't manage it until the end, and that's the, the, the technical basis of the piece. What he does in the themes, of course, is, is something... Uh, far more attractive and interesting. Well, as we move to the Fourth Symphony, the inextinguishable, as you put it, uh, or as Nielsen put it, we are going to hear the BBC Philharmonic conducted by Yuano Mena at the 2013 proms. Let's listen to a section of the opening, the Allegro uh, opening of the Fourth Symphony.
the Allegro opening of Nielsen's Fourth Symphony, the Inextinguishable, and and Guy Ricard's. I noticed the very subtle but uh, almost surprising use of brass. Does this come from his days in the brass band? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he, he was quite professional originally of violinist, but he did do a lot of his um, musical learning as a child in a brass band, so he knew how to write for brass and when, more importantly, to use it in the piece. And uh, um, that's a you know, major component of his orchestration or style, is when to use the right instruments at the right time. And his, his, his um, symphony often is a question but in general We'll, we'll have big moments like you heard right at the, the very beginning there with the rasp, the wind, the timpani, and, and so on. And then suddenly you'll have a wind quintet or a string quartet playing. You've heard there this sort of very reduced um, orchestration that suddenly comes um, into play after by the minister. So, and he, he had this idea of trying to depict life, the life force mm-hmm. of the language, is that wonderful hymn tune that comes out. And, and that's kind of the basis of, of the piece. And this first section, the, the, the four movements run together without a break, you know, last about 35 minutes. Um, the first section develops these things, but doesn't quite get to where it wants to so He then goes off to the side, uh, as it were, into a, a little pastoral scherzo, as if to try and kind of recharge his batteries before um, proceeding further. Well, let's listen to Jean Martinon conduct the Chicago Symphony. Just exquisite wind playing from the Chicago Symphony under Jean Martinon. And uh, Guy Ricard, Nielsen had a special facility uh, for writing for wind instruments, did he not? Yes, he did. And he, um, perhaps as a brass player, he understood how when you're blowing, you need to phrase, you need to put in certain uh, pauses for breath and so on. The articulation of his wind lines is, is very clever, very well laid out for the instruments. And, and, the and he has a famous wind quintet, correct? There is a wonderful wind quintet, yes, indeed. Uh, written for just after the Fifth Symphony, in fact, as a relaxation. Again, it's a bit like the kind of nature of this, this little allegretto we've just heard. It's very light and airy. And his idea then after that was to write a concerto for each of the players. Unfortunately, he only managed to complete the ones of 
So as we turn to the third movement, Poco Adagio, Quasi Andante, what should we listen for? Well, the second movement uh, focuses on the, on the wind instruments. You've heard a little bit of strings in there. The Poco Adagio concentrates on the strings. It's much more serious in tone. We charged our batteries with the scares from this nice little pastoral interlude. We get back down to the serious matters. Again. Yes. It's, uh, string. it's not sort of a very high theme, and there's a bit of uh, interpolation from the timpani as well. Once again, we're listening to Chicago, conducted by Martino. excerpt of the third movement of Nielsen's Fourth Symphony. And Guy, only the greatest composers can create power so quickly and maintain it as he did here in this part of the third movement. Absolutely. That's the the opening stretch. And it it almost comes out of nowhere after that quiet quiet wizard writing in the the second sound. And it it has the effect in suddenly focusing the audience's attention very quiet and with those high the high violins come in about halfway and all of a sudden it goes from being rather straightforwardly see elegiac to being almost uh, a little bit dangerous a little bit absolutely well it's it's the underpinning with the drum the timpani there that suddenly gives it that extra dimension it's like adding depth right Um, it's almost prefigures Bernard Herrmann and and some of his work with Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Then um, knew um, those kind of tricks to have a great sense of space, um, acoustic space in, in scoring, and that's what Nelson does there. The timpani is supported by, by cellos, but it's the drum that you hear. And, of course, the drum then becomes much more important in the final section. You know, I mentioned earlier that the work opens in D minor, tries in the first section to go to A major. Actually, the ultimate goal is E. And in the final section, that's what the music sets out to do. And the two timpanists decide they're having none of it. And they launch two enormous fusillades in the minor, pinning the music next to the minor, while the rest of the orchestra tries to overcome this and, and, and move on to, to E. So it's a battle of keys, and it sounds like if this was the state of his marriage, this is a, a saucepan purring kind of marriage, or if it's it's war and who knows the you know, the, 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 the war going on in Europe to the south of Denmark may well have had a, an yes. impact here in expression. But it's combative movement music. And so what we have next next now is the bit I suppose that makes this the most popular of Nielsen's symphonies, the great timpani duel at the end leading to the, the peroration. Well, let's listen. 
I think what we're hearing is true greatness in music. Guy Ricards, this must have huge impact in the concert hall live. Oh, heavens, yes. The the symphony generally are split either side of the brass so that they get these antiphonal um, effects between the the two. Although they always play as a, in the final group, they play as a pair. Actually, Nielsen wanted the second set of symphony at the front by him as conductor, which is a little bit impractical. Um, there was a performance last uh, year at the proms, again with the BBC Philharmonic, and, and the wonderful Danish conductor Thomas Dalsgaard, it was his last um, concert, and he decided to put the second set of symphony in the auditorium, in the album. Really? Proms to be the stand. So the second set of symphony was sitting there all through the concert, we just wrote off with no one near them. <laughs> and all through the, the first three movements of, of the symphony, there's nobody there, and I'm Guy, we're going to take a short break, and all you listening, we'll be back in just a moment. Back with Guy Ricards, we're talking about the symphonies of Carl Nielsen, Denmark's greatest composer. And we move now to the fifth. And we're going to be listening to what a kind of storied recording from 1962, Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic. I wasn't surprised when Guy picked it because since I began collecting records, uh, it would have been in the late 60s. I always heard about this recording. So tell us what we're going to hear as we move through uh, Nielsen's Fifth Symphony. So the Fifth Symphony is many people's candidate for the greatest symphony of the 20th century. It's cast in two large movements. Um, The first, um, as we will hear in in a moment, seems to emerge out of the fog of battle. The fourth ends in triumph. And the forces of darkness and the drums have been vanquished. But the fifth starts on the battlefield with the fog clearing. And then as it proceeds, it gets more combative. And this time not timpani, but a single snare drum comes into play. Um, the second movement is then a more complicated movement, but it's essentially the victory again, but it has its own, own, own problems. And it's that, again, that sense of drama that you saw or heard in the sections with the fourth symphony played out, but very, very differently. There's a different story told. If if the fourth is the war and the victory, the fifth is about winning the peace, shall we say, in that there is more struggle to to happen and and to to be overcome. Well, let's listen to Bernstein and the New York Philharmonic play the opening to Nielsen's fifth symphony.
Well, that gets off to a powerful start, Guy. And it seems like the Fifth Symphony has a different kind of uh, almost worldview than the Fourth. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the previous four symphonies all start with a bang and, and go off in, in full pelt. This is different. This is very quiet. It's subdued. Um, begin to hear the sort of themes coming together. And then, you know, it's, 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 it's a different type of, uh, as you say, a different whole worldview. What happens is a few couple of minutes after that, section um, we've just heard which is uh, the snare drum enters it's a single snare drum and it beats out this insistent little rhythm dum 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 and just carries on with that rhythm and cows the orchestra for about 10 minutes <laughs> and all they can do is just react to it and the winds start off this marvellous hymn tune hymn like tune to try to overcome and overwhelm Cars, you really picked a good one there. It it almost reminded me of kind of an individual voice trying to overcome the collective. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's there's a, an element to that, um, and the, the work was written after Nielsen and his wife had separated. The official separation was in 1919. It commonly agreed that. This is Nielsen's reaction to the First World War. Denmark wasn't badly affected by it, but I think the carnage that went on, you know, affected any anyone with the brain really um, when they were seeing uh, what had happened. Um, but the two things may somehow 
melded together and then found expression in this music. And of course, that that passage with the side drum, people in in conservative Copenhagen didn't really understand. That. People ran screaming from the auditorium at the onset of the, really? the, the, the side drum. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, um, it was considered very avant-garde. Of course, it's, it, it's not at all compared. Well, it to was the jazz age, right? It was well, the jazz age. Had, n- not in Denmark, it wasn't. <laughs> 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 um, but of course, it, it quickly it quickly took its place as um, with the fourth as Nielsen's first play and regarded as his greatest symphony. So um, it ends so quietly. That that first movement. And in the, and then second, the second movement, movement the, what do we get? Yeah, well, you get kind of four movements in one, or maybe three movements in one. It's a, bit, a little bit like the Schmidt Fourth Symphony that we heard a couple of years ago, where you have the elements of a four-movement piece all sort of brought together, or even like the Nielsen Four. You have a, a sort of Jakarta-like opening, very sort of um, triumphant and vigorous. Again, the battle has been won, and off it goes. And it kind of doesn't quite resolve. So then it goes off into a very fast little fugue. I think I can, I can sort of run myself to death sort of through this and, and, and come out the other side, and that doesn't work either. And so then he slows the tempo down, and you get the slow fugue. It actually, sort of, uh, composer and writer on Nielsen, Robert Simpson, described it as one of the sanest passages in music he'd, he'd heard, and it, it sort of thinks its way out of the impasse. Hmm. So that the opening passage then recurs. And then gets to, the, to where it needs to go. So we'll hear that, that opening passage because it, it, it encompasses, uh, I think, Nielsen's state of mind. This that this is the this is the victory. This is now where we should be should be going. Once again, it's Bernstein in the New York Philharmonic. That's the an excerpt from the opening of the second movement of Nielsen's Fifth Symphony, and uh, again, it, uh, it's hard to stop music like this guy. I know. I'm inclined to say, let's just play the Fifth Symphony. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I recommend everyone to, to to go and listen to that recording. Uh, Sony still has the rights to it. I believe it's it's still available. So oh, it's it's there. Um, it's also on YouTube. So. You can yeah, watch it for free or listen yeah, to it. Now, absolutely. in the Sixth Symphony, which was written three years later in 1925, something very different happened. 
oh yeah, it's it's different again, um, far more so than the difference between the number four and five. Something uh, fundamental had uh, changed, and it came from within. He began to start suffering ill health, the onset of his final um, disease, he had heart disease, and a series of heart attacks. Uh, began in 1924 um, when he was starting to write this piece and and then carry on until he finally killed him in 1931. So there is something of the, I think that infected, in a way, the expression because the music starts in a a sort of atmosphere, a bit like the the fifth is quite quiet, but it's far more positive. It seems airy and light as if in a nice place. And it moves away, and as you would expect in any kind of piece, it would, it would return. And it, it never gets back. It never returns. And what then happens is this strange of, of movement. There's almost an, an anti-musical movement of the humoresque, where there's almost no pitch. It's just percussion and a bit of, 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 of winds. Um, it puzzles people completely and again there's a, a third section of third movement which is sort of strange line and then a set of variations at the end and they're all very different you don't seem to get that same sense of inexorable flow through each of the first five symphonies indeed the whole first five almost play like one kind of set self-portrait in number one the view of man through the four temperaments of number two the dames as a country, and then the expanse of a man in conflict, if you like, and bringing out in four or five. This is something else. Maybe this is another self portrait, this is a self portrait of a man, I think. We're going to listen to Herbert Bloomstead conduct San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, and we're listening here to the part of the first movement of Symphony Number no. 6, the Symphonia Simplice. Yeah, there's very different texture, simpler, uh, but very uh, interesting, very, uh, how should I put it, very lively, almost spring-like guy. At the start, yeah, but then you get these very unsettling, disturbing 
interpolations that begin to, to break up the, the flow of the music, and, and this is what happens through that first movement. Um, and the, well, the Simpson again suggests that there may be directly autobiographical elements here. The, the, the opening is, is perhaps reflective of his state of um, success with the Fifth Symphony and the Wind Quintet, which followed on after that. Um, his position as a composer was he was as successful as he'd been at any point in his life, but these heart attacks were beginning to undermine his health. And maybe there is this sort of dichotomy here. He's got success on one hand, but the health of the body is failing at the same time. Um, he seems to have been a little dismayed by some of the musical elements that were going on around him. Now, the country sense this sort of rather anti-musical second uh, movement, and he tries to sort of think his way out of it again in the third, unsuccessfully. So the final movement is a set of variations on the thing, um, and what we'll hear ne next is the final section, which begins with a reminiscence of that anti-musical humoresque with just the percussion playing something. Is it banal or is it alarming? It, it's hard to know. But I think for anyone who's heard any Nielsen, what you then hear after that is not at all what you would expect from him. Before we listen, how is this received, this particular symphony? I think it was bizarre. It was puzzled by it. didn't know what to make of it. Some people even suggested that actually the first movement alone should be played as a kind of one-movement symphony or symphonic movement, and, and don't bother with the rest. Huh. They thought that perhaps the health, his health had failed and, and he wasn't writing uh, well enough. But actually, you get to know the piece. There is a flow. It's just a very different one. It is all of a piece, uh, in the sense that there is a, a connection between uh, the rhythms, maybe not so much thematic, but actually they do follow one from the other. It's just, instead of the large-scale integration of contrast that is often sometimes given as a definition of a symphony, that, that those contrasts have got separated out. And in well, a way, in the end, in this final passage, you can just try to, to unify them in a very unexpected way. Yeah. Well, we're going to listen to the finale of the Sixth Symphony, the Fourth Movement, again played by the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Herbert Blumstedt. Delightful. 
Uh, Guy Ricard's It is a Different World from the previous symphonies, but has a tremendous smark, almost a, a spark, but almost a cleverness about it. No, oh, yeah. I mean, Nielsen was a clever guy. He had a, a great sense of fun, as we heard by the beginning of the program with Masquerada, and I think maybe that's also an element that came out maybe in that final moment. He's thinking, I'll hang it all. Um, you know, I haven't got much time left. I'm going to enjoy myself. You could, you could view that. I mean, that, that percussion piece has been likened by one writer to a grinning skeleton. You know, this is a, like a dance of death almost. But, you know, his, that, that final note, the, Raspberry blow by the two. It is. <laughs> it is. This is just, I don't care. You know, Makes whatever, you smile. I can take it. So, Guy Ricard's. It's thank a very, you for very this. curious piece to hear in performance as well. I bet. It, it has a very strange effect. Well, let's, let's end here. We've finished our journey, Guy, and thank you for that through the Nielsen Symphonies. We went together through the Sibelius Symphonies. We'll have to talk about what's up next for us here on Church and Culture. So, uh, Guy Ricards, thank you once again. My pleasure. To all of you listening, I'll be back in a moment with another great guest.